Wait, what? Who are you? I'm a screaming hamster. My name is Fibwick, and this is Proletariat, and it's just us today. Usually there's Andy and Zoe, but they're not here today. Um, sometimes we have a guest as well. Okay, we're good. <laughs> I wanted just to talk about the articles, because I read uh, Walking the Dog, and I read Against Democracy, and they're both really good, and I thought... Since this is the anti-capital podcast, it makes sense if, if we have new articles, may as well fucking tie them in, right? And Let's there, by it. the way, in the description or in the in the show notes, you can find links to both the articles as well as probably the John Reed book and fucking I don't know. How about HRR too? How about Das Capital? May as well. <laughs> I mean, Walking Dog is wonderfully short as well, so I feel like no one Absolutely. watching this has a reason not to go read it. I read it in like like minutes. It's very short. But Artie has this awful habit of titling his stuff like that. Like it's titled Walking the Dog, and that tells you exactly zero about what the content of the like Yeah. They're I love them artistically speaking, but they might not be very functional. Snug yeah. is a bug in an igloo. I don't know actually who wrote any of these. Artie's the reason why there we have the little short tagline underneath the headlines now. Like Someone once commented back when people actually cared about anti-capital. They were like, <laughs> they were like, we need, like, what are these articles even about? Like, these don't make any sense. And so we had to decide to add little descriptors. And that was my job. I got assigned the job of adding the little descriptors. Yeah. So Walking the Dog's little descriptor is endorsing the progressive moment of capital's tremors as opposed to the regressive moment. I think there's a typo. Is there a typo? I'll read it. <clears throat> Endorsing the progressive moment of capital's tremors as opposed to the regressive moment is the abdication of class consciousness, is the trickster's way of disavowing reality. Um, so how about we just talk about walking the dog, just kind of in a general sense. Something that was particularly um, spicy, I think, is the, bur- the uh, quote, the bourgeoisie lacking imagination or often nostalgic sorts, but it takes a pandemic to make them long for 2019. So it's just kind of on the concept of how, I mean, really just the falling rate of profit, isn't it? Or like at least how the, yeah, seems like the yeah. worsening economic conditions. No, you're good. I was just going to say that um, it's it's bad, so to speak. Like the, the line is, but it takes a pandemic to make them long for 2019. 2019 was not really a good year for the, the bourgeoisie and already reproduces a data table from... Uh, the Department of Commerce, Economic Census, and Annual Surveys, and probably the uh, column of most importance. Well, there's a couple that are more important, but you, you, you see kind of the, the drop in value of shipments per production worker hourly wage dollar and the net value added per, per production hour dollars, and it declined from um, 2018 to 2019. Yeah. So it was kind of like a downward trend where it went up from 2017 to 2018. It, it took a whole this whole huge global pandemic where everything shut down and like all your economic indicators like just plummeted. It took that to make them miss mm. 2019, which like was a bad year. One of the mo- largest <clears throat> drops, one of the largest like star stock market drops in history. <laughs> it was it was pretty stark drop in like yeah. terms of production and things like that. <clears throat> I think I mean the falling rate of profit. Something that's touched more in I was it volume three of Capital, which yes, I've only read volume one. Um, and I barely understood volume one. <laughs> so I feel like the the falling rate of profit is definitely something where it kind of gets more into the 
seems rather shitty, honestly, a description of each cap volume of capital, whereas like volume one goes over what capitalism is. And like volume three is kind of more where like it talks about like the future of capitalism, which I guess is true for that quote, but I can't Ooh, say it's true. That's for a that. really rough description. I yeah. would say that <clears throat> volume one deals with. I mean, it's, like the, a, that's the, it's the whole circle, this kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. I think Volume 1 deals with capital in 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 abstract level. Like, I mean, so the whole structure of Volume 1 of Capital, we'll just go ahead and say all three volumes of capital, honestly. It takes value as its subject and traces value's self-expansion and its laws of development. So it starts from value as you find it in a commodity in its exchange value. And then exchange value gains an independent form in the money commodity. So you then have a money form which becomes self-expanding money in the form of capital. So you have to look at the capital production process. Um, and as part of that process, you eventually start transcending just production. And volume two goes over uh, the circulation process of capital. And then volume three takes value and makes it concrete because everything in volumes one and two were kind of dealt with on the abstract level of value where yeah. volume three deals with price specifically. So it sort of takes all of the laws of motion of value and the circulation of capital oh. from volume two and translates that to a more concrete sense oh, that and, is and, and a price expression. I really liked the last paragraph of Walking the Dog, um, which is, quote, so where does that leave us? Not so much where we were, but where we will always be in the circuits of accumulation between the, uh, the rock and the hard place where reforms, new deals, green or brown or red, progress are integral to reaction, breakdown, regression, where all are necessary to the barbarism that presents itself as civilization, to the failure that pretends to be success, there is no low that capital cannot and will not go. I think that was really, I really like that also kind of, I think kind of to really emphasize like how important it is to kind to dismantle capitalism. Like think of an ideal world even being as simple as like Franklin uh, Roosevelt's like New Deal, the thing, the thing he had, sure. that was like pretty good, right? You know, wages were pretty good. It wasn't, there wasn't, it wasn't like everyone was suffering, you know, it wasn't as bad as now. I feel like one of the evils of capitalism, no matter how good it might be now, and of course it will never be that good, really. <laughs> but like right. how good it may seem, maybe like maybe there's like a plan. Like like look at Denmark, you know, something like that. The quote, like the social democracies, where it seems good. The the issue is sure. that there is still always no low that capital cannot and will not go. I guess. The problem in general is that the the capitalist cycle, which again we'll read about in our economics extension course. It has highs, it, it has upswings, it has those moments where wages do increase, it, it has those moments where it is possible for reforms or new deals or whatever to emerge, but those are only possible as setups to subsequent crises, and right. crises are only possible as subsequent setups to those new deals and so on and so forth. It's each part is contained within the other, and you can't have one without the both, or without both. It reminds you a bit of Proudhon, Poverty of Philosophy, where 
Marx calls out Proudhon for wanting to keep the good side of one thing, but get rid of the bad side of the other thing. Right. It's like you, you can't cut the capitalist cycle in half. You can't just have the boom period. Yeah. And and the boom period is built into the bust and the bust is built into the boom. And neither are particularly great for the working class in general. Yeah. Like you bring up um the the New Deal period in American history and that was largely like the Congress of Industrial Organizations, the CIO, they were like shackling a, a mass movement that was coming out of the Great Depression and um they like pledged allegiance and supported America's World War II efforts by like promising not to strike throughout the whole thing. So like yeah. all of this stuff comes at a cost. It's like, yeah, maybe wages were great, but they were great at the cost of like the, the people who died in World War II, you know, like it was an, it, those wages were great, but they're purchased at the active support of a global war, you know? So it's like, was it, was it really that great? You've, you've traded one thing and you lost all these other people's lives. Was that work? Can you really like quantify that exactly? And it's like, no, no, <laughs> I don't think it works that way. It's always like half of a good thing is only there because it's the other half of the bad thing, you know? And it's yeah. like the whole thing is bad, you know? That's that's the necessity of overthrowing capitalism. And that's where um, the paragraph right before the one that you mentioned is really nice, too. It says, uh, oh, yeah. in the world of capital accumulation and its ideology of political economy, oscillation masquerades as movement up and down, back and forth, present as progress or regression, as if either notion has any viability in modern capitalism. Playing the oscillations, endorsing the progressive moment of capital's tremors as opposed to the regressive moment, is the abdication of class consciousness. Is the trickster's method or the trickster's way of disavowing reality? Yeah, like that's you get the social democrats who are like, you know, this is how things should be, and it's like during that upwards phase. But it's like the upward phase is literally just preparation for the downward phase when we read. Maxikovsky's capitalist cycle you're gonna see that where like literally the upward phase is just preparation for a crash <laughs> right. so it's so it's very strange to endorse that it's like yeah we should all be ready for a crash it's like wait what right. why would we want that state of affairs I'm gonna move on to against democracy because we've talked about this for a while and I think it would be at least good to talk about against democracy a little bit because that's just a good article Links in the show notes, of course, I've said that, but, you know. There's two quotes that really stuck out to me from this one. You know which ones they are, I'm pretty sure, but... Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of them is my is my status on Discord now. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, like heroin, democracy is a near-perfect commodity. You're ready to die for it, and that suits the dealer just fine. You've already paid. Firstly, I'd like you to go into that a, a little. But before, firstly... Holy shit, that's fucking gnarly. Yeah, Artie definitely has a way with words. One thing before I even address that, did you notice in the opening paragraph when he referred to the Students for a Democratic Society, he did not capitalize the SDS? I, I asked about that. Well, you know, editing, I was like, oh, is this supposed to be capitalized? And he's like, we never capitalized it in the 60s. I was <laughs> like, shit, if you guys never capitalized it in the 60s, let's not start doing it now, you know, let's... Let's keep it I mean, legit, I guess, right? But maybe every, it should be like every... S period, D period, S period. Because like, I thought like like I when I saw that I was I was a little confused <laughs> until I kept yeah. reading and saw that it was like a and then like the 
acronym or whatever. Yeah, apparently back in the day, Artie was like, yeah, we just use lowercase everything, and that's how they wrote it, and that's how they did it back then. So I was like, let's stay yeah. true to that root, that tradition, yeah. you know? That's how they did it. Let's keep it legit. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. Because Artie was in the SDS. I think he mentioned that he was the head secretary for Agitprop back in the day, which yeah. you can see why. <laughs> And this, this even ties into something that Command Control asked. He he said, p -p 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 he, he sees that the title is against democracy. He asks, is this supposed to be a pointed attack against democracy itself? If it is, I think it may need to be a bit more pointed, because the body seems to attack the bourgeois democratic republic. Yeah. So basically, I Command Control is is kind of thinking that the article is just attacking a, a bourgeois democratic republic, as if there's kind of different types of democracy and that's kind of like the the article says everybody's a democrat like everybody's middle class like everybody has certain inalienable rights like everybody's created equal until they're not yeah. then it becomes an aspiration somebody wants to be a democrat somebody wants to be middle class and all, all the the problems with that is that it's it's sort of like the vague empty aspiration and like it's it's this hollow meaningless word basically it, it doesn't mean anything because everybody is for in favor of democracy. If you ask anybody, they'll be like, yeah, I'm in favor of democracy or whatever until, until they're not, you know? Right. And then everybody wants to be back to the state of democracy or whatever, you know? And so it doesn't really mean anything. This ties in with the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The okay, relations of power, oh. of property, and class shred the ideology of democracy, which is... Basically, the problem is that democracy is an ideology. It's it's something that denies the reality of class struggle. Um, we 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 kind of dealt with the question of democracy in some amount of detail when we went over Mike's writings, and I said that he basically exhausts. Well, actually, he said that the question of democracy has basically been exhausted already. Um, are the Mike's articles? I remember those were like a weird download link that we got. Are those available anywhere online? No. <laughs> Is there a re How come? Those were fucking great. Uh, because Mike deleted everything he wrote from the internet, but he didn't stop selling his book, so I bought the book so I can... I do this, post it, and then if he contacts you asking you to delete it, then you have heard from him for the first time in years. <laughs> so I'm like, so oh, like what's the worst thing that could happen, right? <laughs> Upload those articles. Uh, all right. I, I want to see if I can find this line because it's like super relevant. It's a quote from a delegate to the Hotel and Restaurant Employees and Bartenders International Union 1927 Convention who says, We are a democratic organization, but we are democratic in proportion to the results obtained. And then he also relays this anecdote that when the first American trade union delegation to the Soviet Union arrived in 1927, one of its members asked Mikhail Tomsky of the All-Union Central Council of Trade Unions if the method of voting by a show of hands could lead to intimidation and stifle trade union democracy. He replied that our workers are not meek and cringing. They know how to vote not just with one hand, but with two fists if necessary. <laughs> so Mike says right after that, proletarian democracy is always incidental and based solely on the practical usefulness of democratic forms and organization to suit specific objectives or immediate needs. The idea is that democracy is at best a tool for achieving certain ends. At worst, it's an ideology that obfuscates questions of class power. 
so yeah, to return to command control's question, then basically, we are attacking democracy in its entirety because the whole thing is an ideological construct that obfuscates the issues of class power. You can say that the Soviets are a different type of democracy than like a bourgeois democracy, but even then the Soviets get superseded when they go against working class interests, which the Soviets in Russia initially, the February Soviets, were trying to hand power back over to the bourgeoisie, basically. Right. So you don't respect the democratic principle just as a principle. You respect the pursuit of proletarian interests even if that puts you in a minority position, you know? Democracy is the principle of majority rules, right? Like, just at its most basic level. So if you just, like, adhere to that, that just makes you a tailist, as Lenin would say, just following behind what already exists, as opposed to, like, pursuing any sort of independent line. And that's when it's most important to be a communist, is when there's not very many of them fighting for proletarian interests, you know? If everybody's already doing it, then... You're not really that significant anyway. So this is kind of this is actually kind of almost tying into like another uh, point that I written down a little while ago to bring up on the podcast. But like, if like I feel like that, like that that kind of confuses me, I guess, because the proletariat being like the workers being like ninety nine percent their interests, wouldn't that not be the majority? Or is this like, or is this is this is this a specific thing with Russia with them still being not super industrialized? Is that what you mean, or is this more like? Even in general, even if the working class is like a simple majority, like a 99% of the population kind of thing, they're still constantly exposed to the influence of other classes. And other classes are, as we know, the ruling classes, and they control the production and distribution of ideas. So the ideas that the working class holds are not necessarily in their own best interests. Right, yeah. And it may sound condescending to say that we know best but the fact of the matter is that we are fighting for working class interests and sometimes that does put you in opposition to other members of the working class you know you do have instances of trade unions which are of necessity working class organizations going on strike against black white labor integration where they're trying to keep black workers out of certain trades and that is obviously against working class interests, even if those struggles are pursued by workers. If you were, in those instances, to adhere to the principle of democracy, and that would be a working class democracy too, then you would inevitably end up with a racial racial exclusion. And that is clearly not in the interests of the working class. So you can't even rely on a working class democracy let alone a democracy in general, the only needle you have to point you on your compass is the interests of the whole working class. Everything else is like obfuscation from that. Like what puts the working class in power or what keeps the working class most unified, most capable of acting independently. That's that's your needle for action, basically. Everything else is obfuscation. So like the interests of the working class, not necessarily what the working class is like asking for. I guess I guess the whole idea of like because as like as communists fighting fighting for the demands of the working class while also kind of having to I guess I almost feel like there's a contradiction there. It's definitely a process of struggle. Mike refers to it as beating the backwards workers into shape. Yeah. 
like he he explicitly refers to the fact that the advanced section of the working class has to beat the backwards workers into shape i mean it can be just a simple matter like maybe you can't just sit down and explain to somebody hey if you have this racialist exclusion policy then they're going to pay the black people less money and they're going to use that to lower your wages because they're going to outsource work to them so you better include them and fight for their wages too because their <laughs> wages are tied to your wages right. some people might be able to, you know some people might accept that logic and be like oh shit you know like even just from a selfish point of view like that that right. might be enough but yeah it, it might take more than that you know I guess it just, it kind of becomes a difficult thing. At least, I think maybe specifically for me. Because, <laughs> sure. like, I know, I, I forget I forget exactly who said the quote. It was, it, it's the one about that the communism isn't some conspiracy. How it's not a bunch of communists, like, conspiring up the revolution. And then we kind of put that on the workers. It's more that we, like, fit. Yeah, it, it it's sounds the kind like of, you're pulling the, uh, the German ideology quote. Yeah, is, I think um, it's from that. I guess it just becomes an issue when what you're doing what you think is in the interest of the working class and it's not, you know? It's like, it's, it just becomes fucky when you're wrong. Sure, and I mean, it's possible to be wrong, but that's where this comes into uh, Mike's article about the Workers' Party and ideology. And so he closes with the serious guard against ideology and theory analysis and practice is open and honest discussion when combined with common work so maybe you try something and it does not work out <laughs> if you can have an open honest discussion and recognize that and be like oh crap that was a bad call i don't know i feel like for the most part you can figure this stuff out especially with how much history we have behind us so like we'll, we'll bring it back to the against democracy article Almost one of the, this was not, but almost one of the chief reasons that the first international of which Marx and Engels were a part of was founded, one of the things that it did was immigrant labor would be used as strike breakers for British trade union stuff. So the international's response to this was to inform the immigrant workers coming in who were being imported as strike breakers, because they didn't know. They're like, hey, you're being brought here as strike breakers. You should you should go back home. And they would like pay their fare back home or like whatever. And that's like the most hilariously wrong way to go about that imaginable. <laughs> and so the line in the article that Artie wrote is um the revolutionist says immigrants are workers. Let them in. We want them here so we can organize them on our side in this battle. <laughs> Right. it's like wait a minute why are you pushing away more troops in your working class army basically right it's like you can organize those immigrants coming in into your union right. and demand that they also receive the same wages that you get you know swell the size of your picket by recruiting them if they're willing to listen to you to go back across the channel to wherever they came from surely they'll join your union too you know, like, why right. was the message that they sent them go back home and not join our fight? It, it was it was something that's somewhat baffling to me, but I do have the benefit of, you know, 100 years of hindsight. So, but yeah, the quote you were thinking of from uh, the German ideology was uh, communism is for us not a state of affairs, which is to be established an ideal to which reality will have to adjust itself. 
we call communism the real movement, which abolishes the present state of things. Yeah. Is that what you were thinking of? Uh, I don't know if that's a specific quote, but it's that, but like it, it was in the collection of quotes that are all in the same idea. Now that, that was one okay. of the quotes. I guess it's just something that I personally struggle with and that kind of when to be the minority. I mean, yeah, like I said, your, your needle should be about what unifies the class and brings power to the class, basically. Yeah. And sometimes it is a strictly tactical assessment. So other times it is a question of principle. The question of integrating black and white labor is a question of principle. You don't back down from that struggle. You always stay in the minority that, you know, workers are workers are workers. It doesn't matter if they're immigrants. It doesn't matter if they're black, white. It, it You know, everybody is a worker. So we're all on the same side in this. That's a question of principle. A tactical question would be something like, do we fight this strike for a 20% raise or a 25% raise? Right. You know, that's a tactical question. Or or even the question to call a strike, period, is a tactical question. Because then it's like, sometimes the answer to that question is no. Or sometimes you do go for the 20% instead of the 25%. Because you won't win the 25% or you won't win the strike at all. And the result is that your organization is disorganized you know you've wasted all your strike fund money everybody's demoralized and so the net result of that would be a decrease in power and unity victory obviously gives increased power and unity so if you settle for a 20 percent as opposed to a 25 percent raise you've increased your power and the attractiveness of your union so that the next time something like this comes around you're in a better position to bargain you might be able to push for that extra five percent next time or whatever you know yeah so there, there's, there's different levels of the question. Sometimes it's a question of principle where you will fight regardless of right. chances of victory, you know? And other times it's like, okay, do we really need to fight this battle or are we going to like scatter ourselves if we throw ourselves on this set of rocks, you know? And I think for the most part, those questions of principle should be fairly easy to recognize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, it's almost more of a theoretical thing for me as well. Like, it's not a practical thing. Like, I fucking know. <laughs> like, 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 you don't have to be Einstein to know that, like, striking to not integrate black workers is bad. <laughs> and, right, right. And, like, it's not... Yeah, like, do you, do you have kind of an example offhand that kind of, like, nags at you where you're like, how do you justify this? Or, or like, you know... That not, not nothing about how do you justify something. It's more about kind of the decision making process being for what is like in the interest of the working class in, in the Russian Revolution. Like the the working class, they were saying like end the fucking war, you know. Mm -hmm. And and of course it, that that is the right choice. But like I guess. But, like, what if your compass, what if your needle was pointing you, thinking that, like, that wasn't the greatest tactical decision then, you know? I guess it's more just that I was assuming that there's too much clarity in what is always the right decision. Maybe it's a little more complicated than I have for, or I say right, just because I have more, I've watched more Crash Course philosophy videos and Crash Course commie videos, but, <laughs> but like. I think, um. In the case of the war, that does wind up being a question of principle. You know, that that's sort of a principle thing, not a tactical thing, because I think everybody knows the people fighting the wars are the workers, you know? Yeah. If, if you're engaged in the kind of war that Russia was engaged in prior to 1917, 
it's it's you know a capitalist war for capitalist aims yeah and it's sacrificing the lives of workers to achieve those aims that's a tactical question on the terms of war would be and this was something that was debated and considered and did prove to be wrong was in 1921 Trotsky did not want to do this, and Paul Levi thought it was a bad idea too. But they wanted to take the Red Army and march into Warsaw and liberate Poland. That kind of thing. From like the White Army, or like is this something else? I don't know what was going on. Yeah, it's it's that kind of thing. And they wanted to kind of like free the workers and like get some Soviets going and all that good stuff. Um, But they get there and they just did not have the support they thought they were going to get. And they were repelled and it was a real big defeat because they had been having victory after victory. And like Lenin and everybody was like, all right, let's keep going. And Trotsky's like, "Mm, maybe not such a good idea, boss. And they're like, nah, we're going to do this. And so he got outvoted, and it was it was a tactical error. It wasn't an error of principle. You know, they, they were going in there to try and establish an extension of a Soviet system. It just wasn't the right time for it. As, as a principle, they should, in general, be going to expand the Soviet system and fighting the capitalists and so on and so forth. But it's not always the best time to do that. And Trotsky and Paul Levi were smelling what was on the wind better than uh the common turn and other people were and they just kind of got overruled basically i don't know if that's an instance where he should have just said no i'm not doing it that's a bad idea it's probably not an instance where he should have done that but there are some instances where he was asked to do things or not do things and i feel like he should have broke with and we'll get to those when we read about germany sometimes you know you gotta you gotta gauge what's what is this is this a question of principle or is this a question of tactics you know Right, because like it's okay to disagree with people on like tactics. It's like I think if we strike right now, we're gonna lose. This is a bad idea. But if everybody's like, nope, let's go for it, then you wind up being in the position of a break. You know. I guess the issue for me is part of what I had set for myself as like a principle was to kind of not divert from the working class. Almost. Yeah, you gotta find the strain though, right? Like the working class isn't a homogenous whole there's all kinds of different strains going on at the same time it's about finding and attaching yourself to the strain which has goals and tasks which most closely align to that which will unify and empower the working class so in the instance of the union striking to exclude black workers there's not just the union striking to exclude black workers there's also the black workers you would go with that strain of the working class. You know, you would fight for integration. You wouldn't be on the union side of things. You know, there's still a segment of the working class to to align to. It's a matter of finding that part of the working class. Yeah. That that part always exists. It's just a matter of finding it, drawing it out, empowering it, merging with it, expanding it, generalizing it, all those good things. So you're not wrong in the sense that you do need to like kind of merge with the working class, but it's not a homogenous entity either. You're also only one person. So while there may be multiple objectives necessary, like, you know, immigrant labor is the thing, but you've also got black labor. So just, just like use those two examples. They face different types of oppression, but you're one person. So it's like, okay, well, I don't live in a community that has a lot of immigrant labor, but I do live in a community that has a lot of black labor that's struggling. So you you participate in those struggles. Just because you're not participating in immigrant labor struggles doesn't mean you don't recognize them or anything. It's just something that's not available to you, you know? 
Generalizing class conflicts is also Mike, wasn't it? Word. You, we got to release those articles somehow because those were fucking, those were fantastic. Those are my, those I think are some, probably the favorite things, the curriculum, or, or the most uh, crucial things in the curriculum so far for at least my like growth as a Marxist. Yeah, I think there were good stuff. Um, we can try and figure a way to feature that. Maybe I'll put it up on. Maybe I'll talk to Artie about putting it out through Anti Capital or something like that. If anyone's listening to this and they're curious about the Mike articles, one way they could definitely get to them is if they joined the book club, which there is a link to do in the show notes. Boom. So, <laughs> so if you join the book club, then there's links. So if you scroll up far enough, but you could also just like ask, like, "Hey, where's the ass?" How how have you been finding HRR? Like, talk to me. Let's, let's oh. hear your comprehension. Let's do this. Okay, comprehension. I think maybe worse than capital, but that's my own fault for, with the uh, with my ventures in uh, listening to it instead of reading it. Mm-hmm. And it's partially an issue of I've been uh, now and now I'm so far into listening to it where I feel like it's too like, late. St- yeah, kind of, and like and like I'd have to start again, you know. So like I think to kind of really get what i should be getting i'd have to start again not not from the beginning but from further in sure and i wouldn't be able like i know that is beyond my <laughs> that is beyond my skill level as a, my discipline and sure. my reading speed and all that but but the discussions are are very very helpful still and like that's that's where i'm getting most of <laughs> yeah most of whatever most of what i'm getting from this is from the discussions and from actually yeah. reading it um john reed though that's why i like like i'm reading john reed i'm not listening to that shit <laughs> cool, cool, cool. i'm reading it i'm mean, listening to it too but i'm not like cleaning and going for walks and all that i am just sitting down and reading it i think it's so unfortunate that the discussion is where you're pulling stuff from because i feel like for the most part trotsky's hrr is like on point so i basically don't have anything to say other than like did anyone have any questions this part was cool this part was cool it's crazy yeah. that this is happening huh Whereas like this last discussion we just had, I feel like Trotsky's just straight out wrong. I got I got stuff to say, you know. I'm like, right. no, this is dumb. This is bad. This is why. But yeah, volume three is really where everything picks up a lot. I I assume so because that's like where like the really revolutionary revolution happens. I think. Yeah, yeah. Even if I have lots of disagreements with Marxists, or not a lot, but you know, more than volume one for sure. Back in my day, Marx was only wrong about relative surplus value. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's right. He did have that little thing in volume one. That's only back in Artie's day, not back in anyone else's. Links to any articles we discuss should be available in the show notes, as well as other tidbits that... I reckon are useful to have links to. You can also find a link to join the book club that we discuss in the show notes, and I highly recommend you do that. You can also find our publication, Anti-Capital. The show notes are available uh, on the description of the SoundCloud upload, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcast, whatever, wherever you listen to this, probably. If there's a description, you should be able to find the show notes there. If you can't, SoundCloud has them. We should, like, introduce a wall of sound. Like, get some aluminum foil and crackle it over your microphone for, like, a minute straight so Oath sees it in audacity. And it's like, what the hell are they doing here? Just, like, midway through.
we'll just start um where is this the only freedom for the proletariat lies now yeah you know, i just 90 minutes in into this fever dream he's gonna get more confused as we just start like <laughs> just random noises start happening yeah, and like my dog will start like <laughs> <laughs> my jar of peanuts i have this is the after hours (laughs) (laughs) hi i'm proletariat and i'm gonna go watch shrek 2 now